0: It's great to see you this morning. Uh, grab your Bible, open it to John's Gospel, chapter fourteen, if you would. We're going to finish our series called "Rooted in God's Promises." As we're getting ready to do that, and you're finding John chapter fourteen, I beg of you, your mercy and your prayers over me and my wife uh, this weekend. Rhonda's not here last night; she got hit by that kind of respiratory bug that's going around, and she is like super sick at home this morning. Maybe if you think of her today, you'll you'll send a prayer up for her and for me too, because Frank this is the beginning of third service, and as soon as this is over, I have no idea who's going to make my lunch today, uh, I, because she's sick, and I'm not going to ask that of her, so um, I'm kidding. Obviously, I'm kidding, but um, yeah, John chapter 14 this morning. We have been learning about God's promises. We have been learning that he has made some very specific promises And invited us to plant our faith on them, to be sure of them. And this morning we're going to finish that journey here in John chapter 14 by hearing Jesus give us as believers a very specific promise about our future. And I'm going to dive into that in just a moment. But but first, you've probably noticed that we all have stuff that we look forward to. Uh, probably this weekend with Thanksgiving right around the corner. You're looking forward to either traveling to be with family or family coming to your house and getting together and seeing one another, enjoying a meal together. Uh, Our lives are filled with things that we look forward to. I I, I know a young lady who's looking forward to her graduation from college in January. She's very much looking forward to that and excited about it. And almost nothing else matters except crossing that finish line. We have some other friends who in a week are going to be moving into their new house. And and, uh, they're very much looking forward to that. A lot more space for their kids. Maybe you're looking forward to a new job, or maybe you're looking forward to a, a, a change in your personal life. We all have stuff that we look forward to. One of the things that I personally enjoy looking forward to is the next great play on words that I can find. I love quotes. I love plays on words. I love neologisms, if you know what that are. A little, uh, I, I just dig that stuff. It's one of the joys of my life, and I love good quotes, especially when someone uses words cleverly so for example recently i i got yet another great quote from groucho marx who said the secret to life is sincerity if you can fake that you've got it made (laughs) i love that kind of stuff right i love that kind of thing i I thought i'd share just a few with you what's the best part about living in switzerland not sure but the flag is a big plus (laughs) Ah, 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 right see i love this stuff um Here's an old one. A three-legged dog walks into a saloon. He slides up to the bar and says, I'm looking for the feller who shot my paw. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's terrible. The next one's better. A seal walks into a club. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bear with me. Police arrested two kids downtown yesterday. One was drinking battery acid. The other was eating fireworks. They charged one and let the other off. Just a couple more. I know you're not looking forward to it, but I am. So uh, a group of chess champs checked into a hotel and were standing in the lobby bragging about their latest wins. The manager came out of his office and asked him to break it up. Why, they said, because he told them, I can't stand chestnuts boasting in an open foyer. (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's terrible. That's what makes it so good. The last one, you could say, you could say that a fortune teller with dwarfism who murders someone is a small medium at large. <laughs> make me stop, make me stop, I'll stop now. What is it that you're looking forward to? You know, we all have stuff that we look forward to. And the beautiful thing about looking forward to something is that it changes the time in between. When you know you're looking forward to something, the time between now and the something is changed by what you're looking forward to. You know, this last year, my wife and I were blessed for the second time in our lives to go over to Europe and ride our bikes around for a few weeks. And we just had a fantastic time. And it was about this time last year, the year you know, uh, last Thanksgiving, that we kind of looked at each other and said, okay, we think we can do this, you know. We, we found cheap tickets and all this kind of stuff. We think we can actually pull this off. And we put it on our calendar. And can I tell you that between then and when we went, there were so many moments when the fact that we were going to go do that helped us, ministered to us, lifted us up. You get busy, you get crazy, you get overwhelmed, and we would look at each other and go, yeah, but come August, we're going on an adventure. It's kind of the theme of our house. If you come and look at all the decorations, it's about going on an adventure. So, you know, it changed the whole year. We went through some tough times in the late spring and early summer, but in the middle of them, we're we're looking at each other and going, yeah, but in a a couple of months, we're going on an adventure. The reason I bring that to our attention this morning is because the promise that God makes, that we're going to explore this morning, is intended to impact you in the same way. God gives it because He knows that if you'll receive His promise, if you'll believe in it, it will change the meantime it will not only reveal to you something in the future, it will change the meantime if you believe in and receive that promise. You see, promises are meant to create anticipation. God's promises are meant to create anticipation because there is always more of him you see, as human beings, we are created with an endless capacity to look forward because God is infinite. Because no matter how much of Him we have discovered and enjoyed and experienced, there's always more. There's always more. And so He gives us His promises. His promises to create that looking forward, that anticipation, which changes the meantime. I invited you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 14. Let's let let's listen to Jesus talk to us here for a moment, then break down what he said. Understand the context. This is the Lord's last night on earth in what we call his incarnation. He's with us as a human being. But he's about to go to the cross, be resurrected, ascend to the Father, and send the Holy Spirit. And he he's going to tell the disciples it's actually better for us to be with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can be on the inside of us as well as on the outside of us. and Sometimes we think the best thing in the world would be to have Jesus here physically. He says it's not. He says it's better with the Holy Spirit. But in the context of that moment, that night, He gives to His disciples, to us, a very specific promise. Let's listen to Him. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. The Lord is speaking and He says, Do not let your hearts... Be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also or likewise in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, it means I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, before we dig into some particulars in that promise, before we make crystal clear the nature of that promise, listen to how Jesus sets up the promise. There's two sentences that precede the promise. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's the first part of the the setup for the promise. God makes promises to us, church, about the future to help us with today, to overcome the temptation to be troubled by what we see today in our world, in our lives, in the lives of those we love. God gives us promises in order to create a relationship to the present that enables us to overcome that's why Jesus says don't let your hearts be troubled he knew that stuff would be tough for us he knew the temptation to be overwhelmed by anxiety and worry and troubles and because of that he begins he frames this promise in terms of what it's meant to address we live in a world where if you read the news a lot you worry a lot Our world's direction, its conditions seem to be continually degrading and failing. And if you pay attention to social media, you get even more of it because you get all the misinformation about the way it's headed and the condition that it's in. The situation was the same in those days. But here's what Jesus knew. He knew that the inside of us What's going on there is more significant than what's going on around us, and so he makes this promise in light of that reality. I read an article recently to kind of illustrate this about a German billionaire. His name was Adolf Merkel. In 2009, tragically, he committed suicide. A billionaire. We don't tend to think a billionaires doing that, but they do, and he did. Why? What could drive a billionaire, we would ask, to commit suicide? Well, here was the reality. Of his $9 billion, in 2009, he suffered a loss of $500 million. Experiencing that loss, he took his life. Raise your hand if you think you could get along with the other $8.5 billion, if it were you, right? I think I could make it work somehow. He didn't because of what was going on inside of him. You know, the reality was he had lost a little and still retained a lot. Later, I'm going to tell you a story about a man with even more who was able to give away almost all of it. The difference is what's going on on the inside of us. Jesus knows that's more significant than what's going on around us. You know, in the moment when Jesus made this promise we're about to explore, people were worried about a lot of things. They were worried about the country. They were worried about their nation. Why? Because the Romans had occupied it and were forcefully imposing their will on it. And they were also worried because there were these bands of people called zealots who wanted to rise up and fight the Romans and drive them out by acts of terrorism. And so they were concerned that the zealots were going to pitch the country into civil war or antagonize the Romans, even as they were worried about what the Romans were doing to their country and their culture. Very similar to today. Today. People in those days were worried about the economy. What kind of harvest is there going to be this year? What's the weather doing to our economic future, to our plans to trade and do business and make money and provide for our families? Those same kinds of temptations were there. And in those days, the liberals and conservatives were at each other's throats. The liberal Sadducees were worried about the conservative Pharisees and their influence in the world. The conservative Pharisees were worried about the liberal Sadducees and their influence in the world. Knowing that Because of all that, there's this temptation to be worried. Jesus comes and says, let me show you a better way. It's neither liberal nor conservative. It's my way. And it's built around a promise. Don't let your heart be troubled. And then he goes on to say, the second part of setting up the promise, he says, trust in God, trust also in me. Or in other words, trust me like you trust God. Receive what I'm about to promise you as if it were the very words of God, because in fact, it is, as he's going to make clear in just a moment. So Jesus makes a promise and invites us to believe it, but his promise only helps us now when we believe it. That's why Jesus says, you trust in God, trust also in me. You know, the reality is that you and I get to choose whether we believe him or not. It's not something imposed on us. It doesn't come to us from the inside or from the outside. We choose. Do I believe? Do I not believe? You're going to get to choose whether you believe in this promise. Jesus says, understand that when I say this to you, it's God saying it to you. Trust it the same way you would trust the very words of the Father. 35 years ago, my wife made me a promise, and I made her one that same day. And that promise was to stay together all the days of our life in the bonds of the covenant of marriage, to be committed to one another for a lifetime. 35 years later, I am more sure than ever that she's going to keep her promise. And she's more sure than ever that I am. And that certainty creates the meantime. That certainty creates the blessing of the marriage in the meantime. You see, that's how a promise affects the present. And that's what the Lord wants us to grasp and understand. Let me ask you this morning, have you received His Word as the very Word of God? Lots of us go partway down that road, but then we stop. We say, gosh, I like what you're saying. Boy, it tickles my imagination. And, and, you know, It warms my heart. And then we stop. The Lord Himself said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, why do you call me Lord, Lord, Greg, and don't do the things I'm saying? You hear, but you don't do he's inviting in this moment us to receive this promise he's going to make as the very promise of God Jesus put it this way over in Matthew 24 he said heaven and earth will pass away but my words won't church whatever he says is more sure and certain than biology you can rely on it more than chemistry it is more foundational than physics (laughs) I go on and on you get the point Heaven and earth may pass away, Jesus said, but what I'm telling you is the bottom line, the last word, the whole story. Have you received it as such? Very often we struggle to do that. You know, as we go into Thanksgiving week, for about eight or ten years now, I sort of wanted to lose about 8 or 10 pounds, okay, you know, somebody can probably relate to that. When I was young and super active in sports all the time, that was never an issue, but now I'm 55 and it's becoming an issue, right? And so I've got these 8 or 10 pounds that I'm, I've fought for years now, God, I that, you know, I want to lose that. And so, I have some friends who've lost much more than that. They dramatically lost weight. I have one buddy who's lost 70 pounds, you know. And so, I go to my friends and I say, Man, how do you do that? Because <laughs> I only need to do it a little. You're obviously way better at it than me. So, how do I do that? And my friends always tell you the same thing they say, Pastor Greg, you're going to have to change your diet. <laughs> now, every time I hear that, here's what I do I go, Yes, you're right. And then another part of me goes, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Because I have a better way. See, I've been working on it for eight or ten years, okay? My better way is to run more. My better way is to go to the gym more. My better way sometimes is to get very spiritual and have fasts. Just skip food for a whole day. And... What's happening in that moment is the 8 or 10 pounds are staying there because the truth is, unless my diet change does not happen, and the reality is, I believe what my friend says to me, sort of. Jesus is inviting us in this moment to take it beyond that. Beyond sort of. And to believe his promise is the most reliable thing we will ever know in our entire lives. Because that changes now. When you believe the promise, it changes the meantime. So let me ask you this morning, before we look at the promise itself, who do you choose to believe about the future, about your future, about eternity? Jesus or yourself? Jesus or what, you know, some pop musician recorded in a song that made you cry, you know? Who do you choose to believe? I remember, and every parent will relate to this, When our son Isaiah was very small, he's a toddler, and on a summer day, he got a big splinter in the bottom of his foot, you know, climbing fences, doing what boys do. And so he got this big splinter, and I remember seeing him come hobbling towards me in the garage on his foot, crying, bawling, because it hurt, face red, tears everywhere, snot coming out of his nose. Dad, help! Right? And then every parent's experienced this. You could see what was going on. He had this splinter in his foot. So what do you do? You reach for his foot in order to help, and what does he do? Don't touch it. Okay. Well, son, what do you want me me to get the splinter out or not? Yes. Okay, you're going to have to let me touch it. No. And you go through this thing. That's the same thing we go through with God and his promises. We say, oh, God, I want that, but I don't want to give myself to it. Jesus says, hey, what I'm about to promise to you is meant to be grabbed onto, is meant to be owned, because it will change the meantime it will change everything between now and the fulfillment of that promise. It will change your everyday life. It will change your life if you'll believe in and receive the promise. That's why he sets it up the way he does. The prophet Isaiah brought this message to Israel when he said in chapter 7, verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, your trust in God's promises, you won't stand at all. And see, that's the thing. A promise can make all the difference between doing right and wrong. A promise can give you The strength to say no to sin. The strength to say yes to what's right and good, to virtue, to Christlikeness. When you know and believe in the promise, you know, you're able in the meantime to set lesser things aside. You know what we call that? We call that growing up. We call that maturity. We call that the Christian life. So, having set up the promise that way, then the Lord goes on to make the promise. That's the last thing we'll talk about this morning. Here's the promise. Look at verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am in that place. This is the kind of promise that a parent makes to a child. This is the kind of promise that someone who knows what's going on makes to someone who doesn't yet know or fully understand what's going on. And it's from that spirit that Jesus speaks. And I want you to notice a couple things just in passing about his promise. First of all, catch this, friends. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. The picture is not of a vast resort where you can get away from everybody. That's not heaven, that's actually hell. The picture is a place where we come together into a communal life, into a together life. In my Father's one house are many rooms. This is important to grasp because, church, understand something. Heaven is a communal place. It is a place where we are together because only, ultimately, our togetherness can enable the experience of joy that God the Father himself knows. Three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself is fundamentally communal in a way beyond our full ability to understand, but nevertheless explicit and real in his word. And Jesus is using that chord as he sings this song. He's saying, in, our fa- in my Father's house are many rooms. We don't get a house all to ourselves. We are made, understand something, church. We are made for friendship, for fellowship. We are made for togetherness. We are made to be part of a group. That's why the Bible says, for example, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, no one has ever seen God, parentheses, not because he's invisible or distant, but because he's so big and so close. Think about that someday. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. You see, our faith is fundamentally communal. Some people think, oh, I can't wait to heaven to get away from everybody. No, that's hell. (laughs) And I say that, can I just tell you, I say that as a card-carrying introvert, okay? That's my nature, A to Z. Ask my wife sometime. I love being alone, but... When I became a believer, I learned that while there's nothing wrong with solitude, in fact, there's something very right and healthy about it in moderation, my soul ultimately needs fellowship and friendship. God taught me that people are the most important things he has to give to us after himself. People, other people, relationships, what the Bible calls fellowship. Now, for those of you who are sitting there like introverts, please, like me, introverted, please notice that it also says "are many rooms, meaning you can go in your room sometimes and close the door. You're still in the house, but you get some time alone, right? And we look forward to that. We love that. But notice what Jesus says. I am going there to prepare a place for you. The person who knows you best and loves you most is designing your room in the Father's house. The person who has the greatest power in the universe is preparing your place in the Father's house. Just think about what that will be like. You know, when I imagine a little bit about my room in the Father's house, and it's just imagination, but imagination is a tool God gives us within the boundaries of his word to experience him. When I imagine that, I I picture a vast library filled with tables where I could spread out my research projects and investigate things. And some of you are thinking, I am not coming to your room in the Father's house. Right. But 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 that's my room. So some of you are thinking, Oh, my room's gonna have big wall that opens up to a corral filled with horses, and I'm telling you right now, I'm not coming to your room, okay? <laughs> two different things. But we're gonna be together in the Father's house. <laughs> Church, I, I'm being a little funny, but understand something. When you own this, it gives you the power to say no to what's wrong. And it gives you the strength to say yes to what's right. Because promises When believed and received, change the meantime. They enable us in the meantime. How many times did Ron and I say to each other, But the end of August, we're going on an adventure? You can do a lot of laundry and dishes if you think like that. You can say no to a lot of things that you would be impulsively tempted to throw your money away on when you're thinking, But man, if I save this money, I'm going to go to a little pub in England and have fish and chips. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, so that's what promises do. That's why God gives us promises. I am going there to prepare a place for you. You know, every, every spring, uh, you, some of you know, I go to Phoenix uh, with my nerdy tribe of guys who fly from around the world. And it's about four or 500 of us. We get together at Arizona State University for a week. You don't want to go. But when I go and I walk through that door, I know I'm stepping into my place. I know I'm stepping in among my tribe. And there's going to be a table already. It'll have my name on it and whoever I'm going to be hanging out with for the week. And, and we look at each other and we all go, this is cool. We're the same. I had one guy say to me a couple of years ago when we walked in the door and I've been going to this for 25 years and he has too. And he looked at me and he said, hey, Greg, here we are spawning back to our habitat like salmon. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but here's the point. It's where you want to be. It's where you belong. Jesus says... That the Father's house is like that. It's where you belong. It's where you're made to belong. And he is preparing a place there specifically for you. Now, if you believe that promise, then the hard stuff he asks you to do in the meantime gets a lot easier. And the easy stuff he calls you to in the meantime is injected with huge doses of joy as you think to yourself, ah, I know where this story ends. I know what's at the end. At the end is my room in the Father's house with all my brothers and sisters. To own that promise makes all the difference. Let me challenge you this morning. We're almost done. Do you believe that? Jesus wants you to hear that promise as if it comes from the very mouth of God because it does. You trust in God. Trust also in me. Now the last thing this morning, that the Lord says to us is actually found in the verses we didn't read, verses 5 and 6. And at the end of verse 4, having made that promise, Jesus says this. He says, you know the way to the place I am going. He says that to the disciples. Well, they're like, what? We don't know the way. (laughs) Boy, we'd like to know the way, but we don't know the way. And so when Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going in verse 4, Thomas steps right up and says, Lord, we don't know the way. Help us know the way. How can we know it? How can we? Can I just tell you that if you're a doubter who asks questions, God bless you. Doubt is the first step to faith because doubt cares enough to ask a question, which means it finds an answer. There's a lot of lazy people who never doubt because they never care about the answer. It's the doubters that lead us forward. And Thomas in this moment is that guy. Lord, we don't know the way. And then Jesus says something profound, church. Look at verse 6. It's a big deal because we're almost done. He says, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. In other words, the way to the Father's house, to this place he's preparing for you, isn't a, a, a road you travel or a ladder you climb or a mountain you conquer. It's not something you do at all. The way to the Father's house is, that Jesus is promising is him personally. In other words, you don't go there under your own power. He takes you there under his. I am the way. Boy, that's a big deal because What we tend to do is inject ourselves into God's promises. God gives a promise and we say to ourselves, well, if I hold up my end of the bargain. But that's never been the pattern in which God gives his greatest promises. Right from the very beginning when he called Abraham, he made him a promise and asked nothing for Abraham except to believe in it. And in the same way, in this moment, he asks his disciples only to believe in his promise. As I said a moment ago, our tendency is to assign ourselves responsibility for his promise. But when we do that, we interfere with the promise. He makes it come true. We believe it. We receive it. But we're so reluctant sometimes to do that because we have a different religion. We cling to to the great American paganism of hard work and self-reliance. And we believe in that more than the gospel of grace. And so, because we believe in that more than the gospel of grace, we can't grab onto God's promises and the meantime isn't changed and we lack the strength to say no to wrong and yes to right and and everything turns on that promise. I said I was going to mention another billionaire, and in June of 2006, Warren Buffett, the world's second richest man, said that he would donate 85% of his $44 billion to charity. So Adolph can't live with, you know, eight and a half billion left over out of nine, but but Warren's going to give away most of $44 million, billion. When asked why he was doing that, here's what he said. There's more than one way to get to heaven, and I think this is a great one. Jesus said he's absolutely wrong. Warren, that way doesn't lead to heaven (laughs) because you can't get there under your own power. Jesus is the way. He takes you there and promises to do so if you'll receive his invitation. If you'll believe in what he says. No one comes to the Father, the Lord says, verse 6, except through me. I got to take you there and I will if you will receive my promise. If you will believe Church, your Lord wants your belief in Him to move from a general sort of affirmation in His direction to a specific awe that causes you to treat His every word like the eternal thing that is. That causes you to treat this promise like the most sure and certain thing in your life. Because when you do, it changes the meantime. When you do, it changes everything. I finish with a story this morning. The first time my wife and I came to Enumclaw was about 25 years ago, and We'd never been here before, knew nothing about it, and, and we came because we were bringing a group of college-age young adults on a uh, church trip. It was a whitewater rafting trip. We were going to come and come up and raft the Green River. We, we were big rafters for many, many years, decades, and uh, we heard that the Green River, for about two weeks a year, ran at class five, and we were young and wanted the hard stuff, so we brought our group up here to do that. And we we're pretty experienced rafters, so we got out and we're running the river and we're having a great time. And then, actually not far from the bridge down here over the gorge, we experienced something we'd never experienced before. Our, our boat got sucked in a rapid bunch of white water uh, in amongst the rocks and literally torn apart and sunk. And the six of us that were in that boat were left clinging to rocks in the middle of this raging white water, water up to our shoulders. The company that was... Uh, taking us on the tour they obviously saw their economic future flashing before their eyes and so they leaped into rescue mode and they were pros they knew what they were doing so they had parties on either side of the river that got up high and they strung a line across the river and then from that line they hung down another line with a big buoy on it into the river up water from us and then floated it down so that we could grab it and the uh the instructor I can remember shouting at us, grab the buoy and let go of the rock and just hold on to the buoy and we'll reel you in. Well, I was like 30 years old and way too macho to take that kind of advice. And I wanted to think I can get out here in my own power. I can swim out of here. And I even said to the guy, I think I I can make it. And he looked right at me and he said, no, you can't. Wait for the buoy, hold on to the buoy and we'll bring you out. Well, I didn't want to, but I was just smart enough that day to believe him more than me. And so I grabbed onto the buoy and when I got into the white water, I realized I'm glad I grabbed onto the buoy because I couldn't have swam out of it. But they pulled me out and I was rescued. In the same way, Jesus says, you can't do this on your own. You can't get there on your own. I am the way. But if you'll believe in my invitation and receive it, I'll take you there. I'll take you to the place you belong, and if you believe that promise, it will change everything in the meantime. It will change everything in the meantime. So the question this morning is, will you believe his promise? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Perhaps you're here and you have never grabbed onto the buoy. You have never received Jesus as your savior. he's here in this moment seeking you he said that his whole purpose in coming to earth was to seek and save people like you and he said that every time the church comes together he'd be there in the midst seeking and he's seeking you this morning and you can grab onto that boy if you will admit that you need a savior that you can't do it on your own that you have sinned and cry out to Jesus to be your savior, he will, he will. You have to tell him, you can in this moment, he can hear your heart. He's on the inside as well as the outside. And you can do that in this moment. The moment you do that, that promise that he gave applies to you. And you'll find a strength you never knew as you believe in it. Maybe you're here in a long time ago, you received Jesus as your savior, but somewhere along the line, you stopped paying attention to his promises. And so you've found yourself weak and wandering. The Lord this morning says, hey, come back. Listen to what I'm telling you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust what I'm saying to you. Believe in it, and you'll find the strength that you lost touch with. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. Jesus, we thank you for this promise, and we take hold of it with both hands. God, as we go from here today, let it be with our eyes fixed forward on that promise that we might be changed in the meantime. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church?